Today, we're going to meet a young man who assumes that if David is anything like me, he would want to hear my news. And this young man even lies a little bit so that it's going to sound even better. And this young man finds out too late that David is not like him at all. That good news that he wants to bring gets him into some real trouble. And you know, it's a mistake to not know God, to assume, I know what God wants out of my life. I, I know that. And ignorance will get a person into real trouble. That's what we're looking at this week. So let's read in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, on the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? So I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. He said to me again, please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Then therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So here's David hearing about the defeat of Israel. And the time is the point that David has just returned after his battle with the Amalekites. He's returned to his city there in Ziklag. Achish, the king of Gath, gave him this city. When he says, hey, you know, where do you want me to live? It's a little close here. And so Achish give, gave him this village called Ziklag. And David wanted to go with Achish to this battle that was being 
organized against Israel. And the lords of the Philistines said, no way, you cannot have this guy go into battle with us. He might turn on us. And so Achish says, you got to go home. And the great battle happened, and David didn't know how it came out. So this is the first news that David is hearing now. And here comes this young man from Saul's camp. That's what it says there in verse 2. So he's one of Saul's guys, evidently. And his clothes are torn. There's dust on his head. He did that to himself. That's a sign of mourning. You go, oh, and you throw dust on your head. And you're mourning because of tragedy. There's bad news. And he prostrates himself before David. You know, that's a sign of respect. He probably came into Ziklag and said, where's David? I got to talk to him. They said, there he is. So he bows before David. And David says, where have you come from? That's as much to say, what's going on? What do you come with? And the young man gives the news. I have escaped from the camp of Israel with my life. That's the essence of what he, he's getting across, that this was bad, that the people have fled. There are many dead. Israel lost the war. Saul and Jonathan are dead. And David says, how do you know? Now, he wants to confirm the story. What if there's hope? What if it's just, you know, Chinese whispers? And I heard this from my cousin who's a good friends with, you know, how do you know this is true? And he says, I, I just happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul, and he was wounded, and he was getting closed in, and he says, I'm in anguish. And this is a word that is used only here and it's been translated in different ways like I'm in convulsions or I'm, I'm dizzy, I'm in confusion, I'm in agony, I'm in suffering. So the Amalekite says, I killed him because I didn't think he was going to make it. And I took his crown and his arm bracelet and I brought them to my Lord. Now, David smells a rat, and this guy is lying. And we know he's lying because in the previous chapter, 1 Samuel 31, it shows us how Saul died, that he was wounded. They were closing in on him, but he killed himself. Doesn't say there was any young man around him, to do the job, he killed himself. So here is this young man coming to David and he's not telling the truth. He's saying, I killed Saul. Now why would he do this? Well, somehow he got that crown. Somehow he got that arm bracelet. And he thinks to himself, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find David and tell him that his 
enemy is dead. Because if he's anything like me, he's going to be glad to hear that it's over, that Saul is not going to persecute him anymore and run after him. In fact, David is free to be the king of Israel. And this is going to be good news because if David's like me, well, he's trying to make something of himself and he's trying to climb up in life and get a good position. And if he's anything like me, he's going to reward me for the good news and, you know, I'm going to even up it a little bit and just say, well, I helped you. And that last little bit, you know, I, I got rid of him. So everything's good now. And you and me are friends. You know that I'm on your side. Because if you're anything like me, this is good news. This is what he's thinking, isn't it? Now David and all of his men, all of his men, they rip their clothes and they mourn and they fast till evening. Because David is truly grieving and his men are grieving. It's a complete tragedy. But at some point, David talks again to this Amalekite because something's not right. Verse 13. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Now, you know, you mourn and you weep and the tragedy overcomes you and you don't know what to do. And you're, you're weeping and then, and then David starts thinking, thinking about this. And of course, certain things don't make sense. Did that guy say he was an Amalekite? What is an Amalekite doing in Saul's army? Since when has any Amalekite been a friend of Israel? You know, from the very first, Amalek attacked Israel in the rear, where the weak were. It's like, when did any Amalekite become a friend of Israel? I just came back from battling Amalekites who kidnapped all of our families, stole everything we had, and now this Amalekite says he's with Saul. Since when? That smell like a rodent? But there's more. He says he killed Saul, right? Mercy killing, that's what you call an oxymoron. It is a contradiction that doesn't make sense. Mercy killing, that's not in anybody's hand to do. 
They call it euthanasia now. means the same thing. But euthanasia is not biblical. It's not in people's authority to say when somebody dies or when it's a good death. It does not belong to us. It only belongs to God. So here's a guy who says, ah, poor guy, he's not going to make it. I'll help you out. Whack. And he didn't try to help him. He didn't try to get him away. He didn't try to defend him. He just went, oh, okay, whack, and then, and throw some dust on his head. What is he sorry for? Does that make sense? So, this guy, whatever he's doing, he's not grieving, and then he's come to give me this news. Why is he telling me this? Because he thinks that I am going to say, oh, that's good. Saul's out of my way. The throne is mine. All my problems are solved. And you're the guy that solved my problems. You good friend of mine there. Somebody give this guy a robe and a lot of money because you solved all my problems. Right. You know that David did figure this guy out correctly. We're going to see in 2 Samuel 4, David tells two other murderers. When someone told me, saying, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought me good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. So see, David has figured this guy out. And he knows that he's not right, that he's lying to him, that he's trying to weasel his way in and tell him what he thinks David wants to hear. But David is nothing like this Amalekite. David is not trying to make himself king of Israel, and he's not against Saul. We'll see that in a minute. But David asks you, you, where are you from? Who are you? And he says, I'm an alien. He says I'm the son of a foreigner, but that is equivalent to saying, I'm not from Israel. I'm an Amalekite. And David says, so, how come you weren't afraid to kill the anointed of the Lord. Kill him. And before the guy could say, oh, I made it up. I didn't kill him. It's all a lie. No time to change his story. And David says, your own mouth has declared your guilt. You said, I killed the anointed of the Lord. That's it. It's over. The Amalekite made a big mistake in assuming that David would be just like him and say, oh boy, that's great news. He said exactly the wrong thing that would get him killed. 
because tragically, he doesn't know really what kind of guy David is. David is the kind of guy who composes a lament for the guy who persecuted him and wants all Israel to learn this lament. This is in verse 17. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son and told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jeshur. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. So these are the things that David wants all Israel to remember. And he's speaking about the beauty of Israel, the mighty. And he's referring to all those soldiers who died. And he's referring to Saul. And he doesn't want the Philistines to hear about it. Tell it not in Gath and Ashkelon. Those are cities belonging to the Philistines. He doesn't want them to hear about it. And the reason is, these uncircumcised people who have nothing to do with the people of God, they would rejoice. And we know that's what they did. They rejoiced in their temples. They rejoiced in the cities. They had parties. Saul is dead. And David is not like the Philistines. He did not rejoice over the death of Saul because he didn't consider Saul his enemy. And we've seen that through 1 Samuel, that there's Saul thinking the worst about David, I'm gonna throw a spear at him. Dang, I missed. And he's trying to get David, and just when he just about has him, something happens and David gets away. So frustrating. Twice, David had it in his grasp to kill Saul. 
And he could have solved his problems all by himself. But that one time when he's just about, and he goes, I don't know, this isn't right. Then he goes, cuts off the edge of his robe. And even that bugs him. Because that's not what he wants to say to Saul. Oh, you missed it. I almost got you. Watch out for next time. You're going to be dead. Get off my back. He goes, that's not the message. That's making me to be a threat just like he thinks I am. I don't want to be a threat. So he says, look, you're out hunting a dead dog. You're looking for a flea. I am not a threat to you. Twice, he lets Saul go. And then finally, rather than just keep duking it out, he goes away and joins the Philistines. I am not fighting. Now, I ran across this, and it, it really intrigued me. It's in Psalm 18, and it's the dedication. And here's what it says. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Don't you think that's interesting? Why didn't it just say from the hand of all of his enemies? Why does he separate out Saul and say, from the hand of all his enemies and Saul? And the answer is because David always treated Saul as the anointed of the Lord. And he respected him because God chose him. And he says, he is the anointed of the Lord. I will not lift up my hand against him. He says, God is going to take him or he's going to fall in battle or something's going to happen, but I will not do this because God chose him. And that means God knew this would happen and he is God's problem and it's not, it doesn't belong to me to say, I don't like this, stand still. There. I can't do that. And so I will respect Saul and I will love him even as he's persecuting me. Now he was a real problem to David and he made David's life difficult but David did not consider Saul his enemy. Does everybody get that? He goes on and says that Saul and Jonathan were mighty warriors. And that was true. This is what it says in 1 Samuel 14. Now when Saul had taken the kingdom over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, the sons of Ammon, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. And wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment. He acted valiantly and defeated the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. So, David is acknowledging the truth. Saul was valiant for Israel. 
He emphasizes that Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant, devoted to each other in this life and in death, and they were loyal and faithful. He says they're swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. And then he says that he really benefited Israel. There in verse 24, he clothed you in scarlet. That's really nice stuff. And gold, he made your lives better. And David wants Israel to remember how wonderful Jonathan was. Your love to me was wonderful, he says. And that word wonderful is a word that is often translated miraculous. Your love was miraculous. You know what miraculous means? It is the power of God coming into human existence. He says that's what your love was like. Now, this part of the Bible is twisted and ripped out of context to say or imply that David had a homosexual relationship with Jonathan. And that's not what he's saying. And I hope everybody understands that. He's not talking about sexual love as if that is what love means. Today, I think that is the modern equation. Love equals sex. But that's not so. He's talking about the love of women. That is, the love of a woman for her husband. The love of a mother for her children. And it is amazing how dedicated how faithful, how fierce and nurturing and defending the love of a woman is toward her husband, toward her children. But David says this goes beyond that loyalty and commitment. Because we know from chapter 18, of 1 Samuel, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to David and he loved him as he loved his own self. Now that describes the love of God, the love that exalts the beloved more than oneself. I think about you more than I think about myself. Do you run into that kind of love every single day? Is that a common love? Do you have that kind of commitment and bond with just anybody? You're lucky if you experience that once or twice in your life from somebody. And David got to experience that with Jonathan. You know, it says in chapter 18 that Jonathan made David make a covenant of the Lord with him. He gave him his sword. There were only two in Israel, and Saul had the other one. 
Now, here's my sword. Here's my belt. Take my robe. Here it is. I want you to have it. Love loves to give. And that's the way Jonathan was toward David. There's another time in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel where David is on the run. Jonathan goes out to encourage him. And he says, Do not be afraid because the hand of Saul my father will not find you. And you will be king over Israel. And I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So now he's saying, you are going to be king. I will not inherit this from my father. And I don't care. I want you to be king. You're called by God. I rejoice over that. I'm glad to be next to you. I don't want what you have. Now, love does not envy does not seek its own, is not provoked. And that exactly describes Jonathan's love toward David. And the amazing thing about this lament is that it's all remembering the good stuff. Nothing in there about, yeah, Saul had his paranoid days when he hunted me. But that's all in the past. We're not going to remember that too often except to say, yeah, he could be a pain. Not a breath of that. David is only remembering the good stuff. And again, this is God's love. Love suffers long and is kind. Does not behave rudely is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And this lament expresses David's love which he received from God. So, isn't it a tragedy that this Amalekite assumed that David was a guy just like him? Because assuming and not knowing led directly to his death. Does everybody get that? It is not good to be ignorant of David. And just in the same way, it is really not good to be ignorant of God and what God wants. Now, you know what people think God really wants. And I find myself falling into the same Dankweiser attitude Help me out. That's the only word I could find. Attitude. God wants me to be good. Eh, it means I have to try harder. 
because God loves good people and he hates bad ones. So I gotta work harder. That's what God wants. And if I work harder at my life, God will be happy with me. Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever thought, uh, that's kind of bad, I kind of need to shape up. God's angry. I get that from people. And you know, they're kind of upset because who's God to say you need to be better? It's kind of resent that and just say, I want to be what I want to be. That's what I am. You know, leave me alone. It's good enough. Well, you know, that is offensive to God. And that attitude will get you killed. In fact, it will damn you forever because you don't understand God. God wants you to be perfect. Now you think, okay, I'm going to work at it. Wait a second. Are you perfect right now this second? Have you ever been perfect in your history? So how are you going to wipe out all that imperfection and suddenly show up and say, I made everything perfect? Are you kidding? See, that's never going to happen. And that is insulting to God because that is a very low view of his righteousness. So say, okay, 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 I'll work at it. I'll make you happy. If that's going to make you happy, okay. I'll be perfect. It insults God because he wants you to understand his ways and walk with him. And try really hard to be good is not God's way because it's too late. It's already too late. Your past isn't perfect. You're not perfect now. You will not be perfect in the future because everything you do is defiled and is unacceptable to God. There's no way out. And if you're going to honor God and understand his ways, you need to realize that and say, I'm dead. I cannot please you in myself. You see, God knows you need a perfect righteousness. And so he made a perfect righteousness for you. And he sent Jesus, his own son, to take your sins upon himself and to pay for those sins and to completely wipe them out, past, present, and future. There is nothing for you to do. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. It is perfect. So how you honor God and do what he wants you to do is receive it as a gift. Now, if you've received a fabulous gift, 
your spontaneous reaction is going to be, thank you. This is great. It's what I've always wanted. Wow. For me? Think about some of those heavy gifts you've received. It's like, wow. Look at you. You're worshiping God already. And you know, as you keep looking to Jesus and trusting in him, you are transformed into his image from glory to glory. Here's something that God is doing. Making you perfect. Now, if anybody keeps working on their own righteousness, wants to say, well, you know, I got to keep working at it. I mean, thanks for the push. I'm rolling now, and now I got to keep it rolling by myself. See, that is offensive to God again. Because that ignores what God has done. It ignores the fact that his righteousness is perfect, and you receive it as a gift. You don't deserve it. So you don't try to deserve it suddenly. You receive it, and you keep receiving it, and you keep thanking God, and you go, wow. Wow, God loves me. Well, there is that person who says, yeah, but I have to do something. But that's ignorant. That doesn't come from understanding. And see, your need is so overwhelming that if Jesus doesn't save you completely, you will never make it. You will be damned. So, the amazing thing is that all God's paths are mercy and truth to those who walk with him. Doing what he really wants. I want you to just stick with me and go where I go and live like I live. Watch me. <laughs> Keep your eye on me, son. But as we go with him, we experience that mercy that truth, and just like we read in Psalm 145, it says, the Lord is good, his tender mercies are over all his works. Is God looking with this eye that says, oh, just you step out of line. I will come down with a rod of iron. <laughs> that gives me joy. No, his tender mercies, his compassions are over all his works. That's you. Right now. Sitting in that cheap plastic seat. His mercies are over you right now. And everywhere you go today, can you imagine? Well, this is what God is really like. And we get to experience his love. More wonderful than the love of women. To me, that is amazing. 
So, you know, we don't want to assume we know anything about God because we're probably assuming the wrong thing. What we really need is to know him as he is and cling to that. Shall we do that? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can learn from you and learn the truth about you. I might be really tired today. I might feel crummy and have a headache. Maybe I had a crummy week. And I feel like a failure. And I can look at things in my life that say, I'm not doing that good right now. And I might be really convinced that you sort of like me, but you sort of don't. And I thank you that you're better than I am. And that your love is not hot and cold. Up one minute, down the next. but you love me and you love each one of us with everlasting love. No matter how we feel, you love us. And we want to receive that today. And remember all your goodness, all your mercy, We want to remember the forgiveness of our sins right now. We want to remember that we have a future which is settled and secure. Thank you, Lord. We commit ourselves to you to look at Jesus and let him transform us. Thank you for that. Bless us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.